good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, you know, the Lutheran who believes, but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. That number is area code 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48 states, toll free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome to the front porch with me. Hey, good to be back. I'm glad to have you here. And boy, it has been a uh, busy couple of weeks for us, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the well, summer's always busy. We always think it's not going to be. But then that's when, you know, we got to pack everything in. So yeah, that's, when, that's when we fool ourselves. But, you know, specifically, uh, you and I were both at the uh, Triennial Convention. And, you know, I know this was a... Very important and momentous thing. But, you know, I'm just a layman. And I'm wondering, you know, when I go to church this coming Sunday, uh, what my fellow parishioners are going to think, if anything, about the triennial. Why is it important to those of us of the laity? Well, well, just one quick correction. I wasn't at this past one. I watched it uh, over uh, over online. I was at the last one three uh. years ago. But uh, I had two brothers who were uh, who were delegates. But but it uh, so the question then is why is it so important? Um, well, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, that it is important for the congregations of the of the Missouri Synod to to meet through delegation so that they can. Uh, so that they can, I mean, a lot of things are just kind of houseworking sort of things where we're housekeeping uh, sort of things where they got to make sure that they're on the same page with, with uh, certain outward, outward organizational things like, you know, registered organizational services, uh, stuff like that. And, and making sure that they're, just kind of on the same page in how they are going about uh, their uh, their business as congregations. I'd say the most important thing um, would be to make sure that we are that we are addressing doctrinal issues that that may even divide us um, and addressing them according to God's word. And we can always do a better job doing uh, at that. Um, one of the things that always just kind of annoys me about conventions in general. Is that Robert's rules of orders uh, have? Uh, are, are, I'm not. I'm not against those. You know, I'm all for order, but Robert's rules of orders seem to be kind of the most dominant thing. <laughs> and uh, and I would like personally to see more debate. I'd like to see because I because when you watch the convention, you can tell. Wow, there's clearly some divisions, and there you know, there's some divisions on some pretty important issues 
and uh, maybe we should debate it and uh, and talk about God's word and allow people to expose themselves if they're in error or confess the truth if they are on the same side. So, so that, I guess that's my my overall view of it all. Um, so the you know the 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 original conventions in the in the Missouri Synod, from what I have read and heard, is uh, were, were you know they were they were done in such a way where if anyone were to uh, say anything that was contrary to the Word of God, um, and, and where there was a confusion about God's Word, they would stop everything and make sure and, and study it right there and open up their Bibles and talk about what God's Word has to say. And now it seems that, you know, I hear, and I experienced this at, my, at the last convention, where I hear someone say something that was just, just wrong. It was just clearly wrong from Scripture. <laughs> and But no, procedure... Uh, Procedure says we must continue to go on and ask, are there any other questions? Like, well, the guy just said something that was totally off. Let's call him out, you know? So that's kind of my attitude about it all. I don't, I, I, I really wish that, uh, I think we could do a lot better, uh, as a synod, um, and, uh, and duke it out a little bit, you know? (laughs) So, but maybe that's because I'm young and zealous. (laughs) Well, even, um, even Luther and uh, his psychic Melanthin had a couple of knockdown dragouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that you that you uh, that you have to that you necessarily are going to be nasty about it. You shouldn't be nasty about it. But um, what what I this is what I would do. Now this is what we we all have our own ideas. But but my idea would be we have seven resolutions. Seven resolutions. And the resolutions that are there to give everyone a pat on the back for their service, do those all on Saturday. Like, show up, just do all of those on Saturday, get them out of the way and say, yes, we appreciate your work for this, 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 and this, and, uh, and, and that'd be great. And then the rest of the week, seven, deal with like seven pressing issues that are dividing us and duke it out and debate and expose expose error and let the light of the word of God shine. That's how I would do it. Um, so I, to be honest, I'm not, I'm always just a little bit discouraged um, when there's a huge body getting together. Uh, and uh, th- there's, th- there's uh, a lot of, you know, it's just for example, you know, that one, one, just one example is, is there is, a resolution, which is a good resolution that was passed, saying that we will not allow sinful behavior or, or groups that promote sinful behavior on our campuses. Well, it'd be kind of nice if we could talk about which campuses we're referring to and actually talk about and call them to repentance right there, you know? And instead, it's just kind of like, well, you know, let's just not talk about it. It's just kind of a delicate sort of thing, and let's just sort of set it up so that we can deal with it in the future. And I don't like that. I frankly don't like that approach. Uh, I think that we should be calling things out, uh, exposing them in front of the assembly so that people would hear it and fear as St. Paul says. So, so yeah, my, I don't have a rose, a very rosy view of these things. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was not the answer I was expecting. I got to tell you. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. As I say, I'm a layman. You know, I don't know these things. This is the type of thing that I want to find out about. Now, for example, you yeah. said you said that there were some uh, that there were some rather serious uh, uh, issues that had been that uh, were coming up in the uh, in the convention, and that 
there might even be some doctrinal disagreements. Yeah. Could you explain some of those issues? I'm not asking you to take a side one way or the other. I'm just asking you to highlight what are the problems. Yeah, well, I mean, and and some of them are ones that you that have that a lot of them are ones that came up at the last convention. So the the one that that came up last convention and came up again then this convention uh had to do with uh, ecclesiastical supervision. And so originally in the constitution of the Missouri Synod there was a way to deal with with uh, accusations of false doctrine that would eventually involve the synodical president. And and somehow it 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 happened and I believe this was the late eighties, early nineties, sometime around there, that that it was changed so that the, the synodical president could he could discipline the, the district president, but a charge of false doctrine uh, that that was made at the at the local district level was it was it was very difficult, if not impossible, to bring that then up to the synodical president if the district president uh, did not deal with it. So you know there, you have let's say for example you have someone practicing open communion, blatantly practicing open communion. You admonish him, pastor there. You know, let's say you're a pastor there or even a layman, and you admonish this pastor. You go to the district president and you say, he, he's not listening. He continues to commune my, my, my aunt, who isn't a Christian, and I know it for sure, and he, doesn't, he just keeps doing it anyway. You know? And then it, the district president says, oh, okay, we'll handle it, and he appoints stuff, and then he appoints committees to deal with it, or you know, fact-finding committees or whatever you call it. And then it just goes nowhere. And the guy is still there. He's still practicing open communion. He's still scandalizing your aunt, who is not a Christian, so she really can't be scandalized anymore, but scandalizing everyone else by communing your unbelieving aunt, who everyone knows is an unbeliever. You know, that kind of stuff. This is, this is just one. I'm just giving an, a, 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 a hypothetical here. Um, well, then, the, the, way that it, the way that it was was basically if the district president isn't going to isn't going to deal with this, then there's nothing else you can do. But then what the, what happened last convention is we, we gave it to the commission on constitutional matters to kind of fix it. <laughs> and they basically did that and made it so that there is a way to appeal to the, to the synodical president and, uh, or presidium, which would, I guess, include the vice presidents as well. Uh, and so it doesn't just become kind of stonewalled on the district level. And that was that is a controversial one. And some feel as though if we if we allow the synodical president to be more involved, then that is more of a top down kind of approach. But to be perfectly frank, um, the, the reason people don't want to to, to uh, uh, allow the synodical president to get involved is because it just so happens that there are those who practice open communion and their district presidents don't discipline them, you know, and, and that's just, or, or, you know, there, there are those who have unbiblical teachings and practices and, you know, nothing happens. Right. So, so these, it's basically an attempt to try to have some sort of synodical supervision that or doctrinal supervision within the synod. 
And so this has been very, very uh, controversial simply because there are doctrinal differences among us in the Missouri Synod. And there are those who teach more, well, we should commune more people who are, be more hospitable, as they say, in our communion policy or practice, I should say. And those who say, no, we should commune only those who confess publicly, which means that they go to a church that confesses publicly what we confess. So that, and, and that's just one issue. I mean, there are other issues too, but that's when I kind of focus in on with closed communion. That so. uh, that surprises me a little bit. You know, I I can I know that there are a number of disputes. For example, uh, uh, can we worship with other faiths? Things like that, mm-hmm. and still be true to our own. I, I know I've been to uh, well, for example, I when I was in California, a local synagogue was uh, vandalized, and yeah. and a, a group of us went down. I mean, it was, it was really quite a turnout. Uh, a group of us from, from different churches went down to show solidarity with our Jewish friends, and uh, mm-hmm. and and we did have a prayer session. Uh, and, and yeah, I know, and that would probably have raised some hackles within certain certain uh, factions within the LCMS, and I, I admit that. But the fact of open communion—I mean, this is just very, very basic. Even I know that. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it does relate, though, to, you know, these people get a tragedy happens, like you mentioned vandalism or other things happen, and then the way that the world, the world just thinks in terms of, when the world thinks of religion, the world thinks of, like, well, we're bigger in numbers. and But, but when we think of religion, we think of confessing the truth and caring for those in need, um, but confessing the truth. And so, I mean, I don't know all the details of what the what you're describing, um but this does often happen, unfortunately, where the when when people of different faiths get together and they set aside their differences and they give an appearance of unity, that is essentially the same kind of thing going on with with open communion. The open oh, okay, communion. Now, is now explain a, that to me. Explain that to me. Yeah, because it was just so, you know we're, we're yeah. So giving. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was saying, and this is. We all, all of us within the LCMS, know that anti-Semitism is wrong, just as racism of any sort is wrong. In fact, they even passed uh, another resolution at the convention, 10th one in a row, going back to 1956, condemning it as being... uh, Uh And I don't see how, how my participating in a demonstration of solidarity against anti-Semitism could somehow be in violation of of, uh, of Lutheran doctrine or uh, even compared to open open communion. Uh, that, that's... Well, it depends on what you're doing, you know. I mean, that, that we can do, you can you can get together and, and go to a pro, pro-life march, you know, and be, and standing shoulder to shoulder with someone who's maybe not even a Christian, but is pro-life, right? And so that's, in that kind of civil realm, you are saying, we oppose this wickedness. We oppose those who vandalize um, others' property, um, and, uh, you know, whether they're Jewish or, or Christian, you know, we oppose, we oppose anyone who would murder or whatever, and we're going to stand up against that. Um, what I'm referring to is, uh, you know, the, the, while as Lutherans we... We do oppose hatred to, you know, the, the, the hatred of someone because of where he comes from. We also oppose 
the false doctrine that might be taught by those uh, by by you know the any really all forms of false doctrine and the, and so the Jewish religion teaches false doctrine so we wouldn't we you know they deny that Christ that Jesus is the Christ and so while you it's perfectly fine and good to go and say hey want to let you know that as your as your neighbor it is my desire to live peaceably with you and and to oppose those who would who would attack you and uh, deprive from you you know safety and 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 common welfare right um but to participate in a worship service of any kind um is uh with them and to say well we're both going to pray together well, that's assuming then that you're both praying to the same God. Oh, okay, so we there pray I see in that. Jesus' name, right? So we pray in Jesus' name. They don't, right? And even with even with other denominations that are not Lutheran, well, okay, are we going to get together and worship publicly together? Um, I mean, it's one thing if you're at home and you know it's kind of more of a casuistry sort of thing where you have. You're, you know, singing, uh, uh, praying, come Lord Jesus before you before you eat. Okay, well, you know, I guess we could take that kind of case by case. But if you're gathering with those who publicly teach contrary to the Word of God, and you are giving them the appearance of unity that you teach what that you both teach the same thing, that's unionism. That's what we have historically called unionism. Um, gathering with those who are not even Christians and giving the appearance that you teach the same thing that's historically been called syncretism um and so this is so this is why we practice closed communion is so that we do not i mean for various reasons but one of them is that we do not want to give the appearance of unity when there is in fact not true unity under the word of christ well let me give you another example um okay my wife is a roman catholic sure we will pray at dinner. Mm -hmm. Is this wrong? Well, this is, I'll tell you what my grand, <laughs> what my grandpa said, uh, when, uh, someone asked him about prayer fellowship and, and he said, well, you know, praying, whether it's praying with your ALC mother-in-law, he said, well, when my ALC mother-in-law comes, comes over, I lead the prayers and that solves all the problems. Right. So, <laughs> so I, I think that, you know, when you're with your wife, um, you want to confess the truth with her, you know, and you also, but you also don't want to, on the one hand, you don't want to, uh, you know, she, she professes that saving faith in Christ and puts her faith in the Lord Jesus for her salvation, then thanks be to God. And that's where that should be, that should be the emphasis. Um, and at the same time, you know, you don't want to give, uh, the, the impression that, that, uh, the Roman, that the Roman Catholic Church has, is perfectly hunky dory, and that's it's all fine. We're all the same, and which I'm sure you don't do that. No, so, but, so when so I think that you got to just determine this is the wife whom God's given you, and you are kind of you are the head of your home, right? And you lead the family in prayer. And yeah, you, she and says so I. I she, she says I can say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So well, and that's what God says too. And so you know you're unworthy of it, um, obviously. But you know this is this is what the Bible teaches, and. And so these are things that, um, you know, when, when people are in, it's a very difficult, it's, it's, a, it's an awkward thing, you know, uh, in many ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you are, when you have that, 
husband and wife who are of different denominations, but you got to just kind of assess in your own house, are you confessing the truth and are you depending on that truth as you pray? And that's the thing that we got to understand about prayer. Prayer, first and foremost, is depending on the Word of God, which is publicly proclaimed. And from there, then, you have fellowship. So if you are praying and your prayer is relying on a faulty kind of um, show of unity, um, then, then that's hypocrisy. But if your prayer is relying on the truth, um, that in the truth, which can also condemn the error, well, then you are, uh, then, then you're on the right track. And so, you know, there, there's, when it comes to the home life and family life, you know, this is, this is frankly why I tell my catechism kids, find a Lutheran and marry a Lutheran, right? <laughs> but, but, so, but, but I have parishioners like you who are married, who have a, a Roman Catholic spouse. Um, and so then what do you do? Well, you you encourage them to confess the truth and in kindness and be uh and be uh be a light you know to your wife or your husband um and so so those you know as far as praying i guess i i would be more concerned that okay you should always pray at home right i hope that your home is a house of prayer um but uh and obviously it would be if your wife were like a Muslim, well, I'd be like, okay, well, you 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 definitely shouldn't pray with her in the sense of uh, in, in 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 giving the the uh, the impression that Allah and the true God are the true God. So that would be, I think, a little bit more clear cut. But your wife's a Roman Catholic. Well, she does worship the true God. She's just her religion, just or her denomination, just teaches some errors about the true God, which are significant. And they shouldn't be ignored, and we sh- and you shouldn't be afraid to talk about those. So that would be kind of the first advice I would give. And when it comes to praying, well, call upon God, and but let that calling upon God be based on the truth, and not just a show of unity. Um, you know what I mean? You know that it seems like there's kind of a like even just like the International Day of Prayer. I think that there's some wrongheadedness in all of that. Like we're all going to get together and pray. Well, it's like the hypocrites going out and showing everyone, you know, be praying over on the street corner. You know, it's it's so funny how often we just ignore what Jesus says in Matthew five and six. <laughs> you know? I mean, it says, "Don't be like the hypocrites and be praying for this big show, um, but go to your room and pray in secret, so your heavenly Father, you know, who sees in secret, will reward you." And it, and I think that that's part of the big problem of all the. The, the desire to be big and have these, this, this alliance and unity with all these different denominations, even though we don't confess the same thing together, it's because we don't want to rely on the word. Um, we want to rely on, on our own coming together and our own fellowship that we have concocted by committees and, and ecumenical compromise. So anyway, I'm sure there are some people who are listening who are who are giving me a harumph right now. So. <laughs> well, that's the point of the show, you know. <laughs> it's for people like me who really don't know what we're doing. <laughs> no, it. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I've been, you know, I I've been raised Lutheran my whole life. You know, my my uh, my. I will say, my dad was a Presbyterian, but he was not especially faithful to it. Mother was uh, extremely devoted uh, to the LCMS. Mm-hmm. And so I was raised with her, and I have to say, Dad was a voracious lead, uh, reader, and he read a lot about Luther. I know that. Mm. 
but uh, yeah, uh, and that's the thing. You know, you you have those, you know, you, you have those circumstances where there are. The reality is, you have homes that are not united in their confession, and you got to deal with that. And I, I you know, I guess uh, I don't know exactly how you deal with it in every circumstance, but I think basically it's a. It, I'll, I'll say what I said to a, a caller who called in and on your show a couple years ago, I think it was, who was asking about how his wife doesn't go to church with him, wants to go to a different church. And my advice to him was bring church home, then. read your catechism at home out loud, you know, and sing hymns out loud. And, and so, you know, and that's the thing, again, just to kind of reiterate, if prayer is based on the word of God and based on a clear confession of God's word, of confessing Christ and his and what he has done and his glory, well then you're on the right track. And uh, but the prayer is for getting together to give us the feeling that we are united. Then that then then we're not on the right track. And that's not to say that prayer isn't that there isn't that fellowship in prayer, but that's more of the that's more of the the fruit of it all. Um, and we should kind of get our duck our, our we sh- we shouldn't get the cart before the horse. Okay, well, I'm going to talk some more about this, but unfortunately, we got to take a little bit of a break right here. And I've got a lot more questions about this, uh, and I'm going to ask them. Pastor Ken Bomberger. Join me weekday mornings at 7.15 for Orazio, your time of scripture, meditation, and music on KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. You hear our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. 
The ubiquitous WWJD bracelets of the 1990s were asking, what would Jesus do? A question that actually goes back to an 1896 novel by Charles Sheldon. In the book, a homeless man interrupts a church service urging the congregation to put their faith into action. When the man dies, the pastor challenges his congregation to not do anything without first asking, what would Jesus do? Today, that four-word question overshadows the title of Sheldon's original book, which can be found in the Bible, 1 Peter 2.21. For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that ye should follow in his steps. Sheldon's book, titled In His Steps, has sold more than 30 million copies and probably that many bracelets. Engage with the Bible and its impact on history, art, and culture. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk, the Pastors Inn. My name is Kip Allen. I'm the host for the program, and our guest pastor today is Pastor Andrew Price from Iowa. And we are discussing the importance of the triennial convention to those of us of the laity and a number of other issues that are being raised. Uh, right now, we've been talking a little bit about... Uh, what to do when your spouse is not of the same faith? Specifically, in my case, my, my wife is Catholic. And the question I was raising here was, well, you know, we pray over dinner. <laughs> you know? and, and I think one thing we always do is we, we pray in Jesus' name, whether she's leading it or I'm leading it. And I don't really see where that would be violating a tenet, but is it? Well, I mean, it's your house, and uh, and you you should pray at your house, um, and so you know you and and so it's. I would not say that praying "Come, Lord Jesus" at the dinner table is viol is violating, um, you know, some fellowship, the you know the fellowship of uh, of the word, um, if, uh, but but see. If if your wife were, you know, let's say your your wife were a rank unbeliever, um, well, she wouldn't pray with you, um, or if she or if she does go ahead and pray with you, I mean, you you'd want to just, you, I mean, you can't have prayer without instruction. You want to teach, like, well, what does this mean? And I think that when you when you pray the common table prayer, come Lord Jesus, right, be our guest. Mm -hmm. um, well, how has He come? What did He do when He came? Um, he came to redeem us from our sins so that so that our good works do not help us get into heaven, but only his works. And so everything we every time we confess Christ, we are confessing that the justification of the sinner before God, even if we aren't spelling that out exactly. So I mean, uh, you know the the point is that when we pray in Jesus' name, we should also be speaking in Jesus' name and confessing in Jesus' name. So, you know, I'm not going to tell you not to pray with your wife, you know, <laughs> um, but, but I, at the same time, um, you, you should, I would encourage you to confess and not be afraid to talk about, talk about what the Bible says about Christ and, uh, that, that, that Christ alone and not any saint or, uh, or merit anywhere else is, is our, uh, is our Savior and Redeemer who brings us to heaven. And so these are things that are very important that we can't just, you know, I think that the temptation that often happens for those who 
um, any really anyone who's married who has any sort of theological disagreement with their spouse, and they don't necessarily have to be of different denominations to have that, right? Oh, um, you say it in the LCMS a lot, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, a great temptation, then, is to just not talk about those things and to not address them um, and uh, because they bring up, because they make us feel uncomfortable, they show that we're divided. And so that was, and, and, and you know, kind of going back to the convention, you know, I think that there were some really good things in the convention. Um, one was uh, on teaching closed communion and what that is. There was a resolution on that, which I thought was, uh, I thought was pretty good. And it actually gave a good opportunity for President Harrison to explain what closed communion is and to teach. You know, he didn't have much time, um, but he did take, I, I was, I really, appreciated that he took some time to just explain from the scriptures why we practice closed communion. Um, and he focused on uh, both that we can give it to someone to his judgment if he's not prepared, as 1 Corinthians 11 says, but also as 1 Corinthians 11 talks about, and also as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 1, um, we are to agree uh, publicly on what we teach. And this um, this agreement includes also going and attending other congregations that publicly agree. It's very simple. You know, if you commune at a church that teaches a certain doctrine, then you are saying that you agree with that doctrine. This is why, this is precisely why Paul uh, told the Corinthians that they should not have come together for the Lord's Supper because they didn't agree. They were at odds with one another. And it doesn't matter what you're at odds with whether you deem, deem it to be a theological issue or you just say, well, it's a spat between us. Well, it doesn't matter. You should reconcile. And, um, and so the, this, the, the teaching of, of, of open communion is a very evangelical teaching, very practical teaching that is good for not just our dogmatic doctrinal integrity, but even our personal uh, lives uh, as we walk with one another and that we know that we're not going to, uh, we're not going to just hold grudges and not address the elephants in the room. I, it reminds me when I was a, when I was in college, my brother James and I were walking. We were driving to church. Our friend was driving us. Um, we got into this big argument. I don't even remember what it was about. Um, and we got to the point where we were just yelling at each other and just saying, "I just don't even." And we were just saying terrible things to each other. And and we sat separately, but that wasn't because we were upset with each other. We just I always sat with my 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 girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, uh, grandfather, who just happened to have gone to the same church as as we did when we were in college. Um, anyway, so she, so I was sitting there right before the Lord's Supper, thinking I can't go to the Lord's Supper. I'm at odds with my brother, and all of a sudden I look to my right, and there is my brother James and shakes my hand, says he's sorry, I say I'm sorry, and we reconcile. That's what closed communion taught us. And this is, uh, and, this is and, and, and I think that there was that opportunity at the convention to, to talk about that, and, um, and, and that was great. Uh, and that, that's an issue I think that we should always be talking about, because it really is so central to our practical everyday lives, and even going back kind of to, to the issue of, of you and your wife, or anyone who has a spouse who does not have the same public confession, the goal in the home, in the church, 
in society is always to confess the truth and to strive toward that unity in confession. And so, you know, you in your home, you got to just, you got to deal with stuff in your home. But uh, uh, so, like I said, I'm not going to tell you not to pray come Lord Jesus or the Lord's prayer, but, um, but, but, but with that, remember that the word of God and prayer together are what make things holy, as Paul says. And so if you're going to pray together, well, talk about God's word together and, and strive to have a unity in what the word of God says together. Um, and that's, uh, that's what's most important. Um, so this is, you know, so, so with, with, that's why I said, you know, the, where I kind of mentioned like the whole ecumenical, uh, maneuvering that you see in, in, in the ecumenical movement. I was just talking to the local Catholic priest in town here and I told him that the, I said, by and large, the ecumenical movement has been a dishonest movement because it has, it has given the appearance of unity um, through through uh, kind of sophisticated compromising of certain theological jargon, um, and just and 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 really and, and, and instead of actually addressing the elephants in the room that divide us from Roman, whether it's Roman Catholics or Episcopalian or whomever, and uh, and he agreed with me, <laughs> so that was actually and that was great, you know. He agreed that yeah no the ecumenical movement has been a fa- has I mean many it's not been a total failure there've been some good things but it's it, but it's overall been its approach has been very dishonest. Well, here here's a, a question I think and really applying to the what the conference what the convention means to the laity. Now, this prayer issue with with a non-Lutheran is is a real issue, uh, and I suspect mm-hmm. many many Lutherans have spouses who are of different faiths. How mm-hmm. could we get the convention to recognize that this is an issue for us, and we really want to get some guidance on this? Well, um, the way the way to uh, I think where you would want to start is just in Bible class. Go to Bible class and engage. This is where the stuff. This is where conversations begin. Um, is in the home, you know, first of all, um, and at, at in Bible class, and I guess the over, and then try to get to well, what is the overall issue? And the overall issue is, um, you know, what what does a Christian home look like? What is God? What is God's will for a Christian home? And I think that there have been some some resources that have uh, that that pastors in our synod have have written on and uh have provided i should say and and they've written on these issues of of what the christian home should be um and it's not necessarily even the synod doing it you know there's uh there are there's there's just certain organizations of confessional lutherans who are largely missouri synod but some even wisconsin and els um uh, like, uh, for example, the House Fodder Project um, with uh, Ryan McPherson, who's, a, who's actually from the ELS. I think his brother is a member of the Missouri Synod Church. Um, but uh, but there's, that, there's some great resources there that talk about the House Father, right? That literally is what that means. Um, and what it means to be the head of the home and what it means to have a Christian home. And I think that, that there was one resolution, I can't remember which one it was, near the end, I think it was maybe the last day, where they did, uh, they commended the synod to study the importance of Christian fathers 
right, and, and the Christian home and how these, you know, these, uh, m- much of Christian growth happens in the home, in the Christian home. So, so I think there has been some, some, uh, some stuff on that. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want the synod to address it, well, I mean, start at your own home and talk about it. Read the catechism at home, you know, try to bring church home, whether your spouse is your same denomination or not. Um, you should always be bringing church home, bring the catechism home, sing hymns at home and let that culture, uh, of God's word be in your, in, in your home and bouncing off the walls. And then go to Bible class and talk about these issues and say, you know, this, this, there's a, uh, and you know, you got questions about praying with your spouse. You know, talk to your pastor about it. Um, see, again, I, I, I'm not. It's it's a difficult topic. You know, it's, it, there's uh, because there. I don't want to say that there are levels of fellowship. Um, like there's prayer fellowship, but then there's communion fellowship, but then there's. Well, no, there's really only one fellowship, but the fellowship is hidden, and it's only revealed through the Word of God. And so, so yeah, that's I, again, talk theology at home and talk theology with your pastor. Start with that. <laughs> well, that's a good that's place. That's really to... what the synod is, right? It's, it's a congregation. So, well, actually, ahead. yeah, I, I can see that, but it's just I, I can't imagine that my situation is isolated or even rare. No, not at all. No, very common. And that's why yeah, I was, you're right. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking that perhaps if this is something that should be addressed on a much higher level. Yeah, 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 and and that would be. I mean, it would be a good idea. I mean, if you're interested in the synod kind of addressing it as and providing resources, maybe uh, CPH taking uh, uh, taking some taking uh, uh, taking the initiative in, in some of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you want to write a resolution um, for the way that you would do it is talk to your pastor about it, work with your pastor on it, and uh, write up a resolution that uh, because there are many homes that are divided in, in their denomination, their confession, um, it would be, you know, let it be resolved that we study this issue and what the Bible says about, about the Christian home and, and who we should marry. Um, and uh, and try to work toward a uh, a biblical understanding of marriage and and family, you know, and that that so that's yeah, a great thing. Yeah, and that is a good idea to actually go about one and try to do it. Because you know, for example, uh, the prayer issue aside, uh, uh, two of her grandchildren recently uh, attended their their first communion at a Catholic church, and, uh, and okay, now do I attend that? <laughs> Uh, and I said, yeah, I, I will attend it. What I will not do is I will not take communion, and uh, mm-hmm. I, will, I will not participate in the, well, I can't say I didn't participate in the uh, in the service. I, mean, I, I, they, I sang the same hymns that we have. Mm, sure, sure. But that, yeah. but that was all. But that was all. But was this, yeah, yeah. Was this permissible? I, you know, I st- honestly, I struggle with that same thing. I've never been to a Catholic church. I definitely wouldn't commune. Personally, I wouldn't participate in the prayers because you never know when they're going to pray the saints, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's, uh, and I, and, and, and I guess the overall, I mean, the, the, the first, my first answer would be the kind of dogmatic answer, and this is really kind of old Missouri synod answer is, you know, you can, if you have to be there, be there and be respectful, but don't participate in any way. 
And that would usually be the advice that I would give. Um, but at the same time, I also want to sympathize with you and understand that, you know, like you said, there's, when they're singing the same hymns that we're singing, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's not close. To, and so I, I totally get that. I get that kind of, it, it's confusing. Um, yeah, I mean, my, there were some of the same hymns, and there were, of course, they did the Lord's Prayer, although they don't do the last part of it that we do. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and so there's, um, so those are, you know, I, and I've been asked this, by parishioners, uh, you know, what should I do when I go to the Catholic Church? And I generally, what I say is, uh, be respectful, and uh, but but remember that if you are giving the appearance that you are participating in their confession, you don't want to do that, right? So so I think that there's been. Um, there, you know, I, when I've been in situations where I've been at a church that does not hold to the pure gospel and does not hold to the same confession as them, they pray. I will stand there respectfully and um, and not participate in the prayer, but I will uh, kind of pray sort of on my own to God to that His and, and pray that His name would be holy, that His word would be taught truthfully. Um, because these are these are sad things, you know. It's it, on the one hand, it's you should be happy that God's Word is being taught despite the false doctrine that's there. And so you don't want to discourage people from Christ. At the same time, you want to take seriously the pure doctrine and understand that the false doctrine that's there is very damaging. And again, this is all part of bearing the cross. You know, this is something that every Christian has to go through. Uh, Whether you're married to someone who's not a Lutheran or not, um, we all have to we all have to deal with the fact that there are many different denominations and that the church on earth, at least visibly, is splintered. And so how do we get there? Well, it's by confessing. So if our mentality is all about making the right confession in both word and deed, um, then we're going to be on the right track. And then so with these other kind of casuistry questions like, well, can I can I say the Lord's Prayer or or can I just, you know, not, should I not pray at all? My advice would be, don't pray at all, um, but just be respectful. And but at the same time, I, I also don't want to. I, I I don't want it to turn into just a, a kind of an outward legalistic, you know, policy. Um, but but that we should really understand it. We should understand that we are in the business of making confessions. That's what it means to be a Christian. Um, so it means to be a Lutheran, to confess the truth in word and deed. And, uh, and if that's what our goal always is, um, then, yeah, we're going to struggle with a lot of, a lot of these issues, but uh, God's going to bless us um, if, our, uh, if our primary, if our primary uh, desire is that his name would be hallowed and his word would be taught truthfully. Well, that's really, I guess, all we can do, and, and know that it is in yeah. his hands. And, yeah. yeah, and try to follow our conscience as well as we can. I've always believed that the uh, the conscience is the uh, voice of the Holy Spirit directing me. Well, if it's informed by the Word of God, so lots of people have a bad conscience, though. So, oh yeah, and that's not the Holy Spirit directing you. So. <laughs> <But> <laughs> or yeah, people have no conscience at all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If your conscience rests on the Word of God, then by all means listen to it. But if it's not resting on the Word of God, then rest. Let it, let it rest on the Word of God. So. Yeah, well, you know, there, there are some things. I, I 
look back at my life and I look at some other things and you know, and there are some things I really wanted to do and my conscience said, uh uh-uh, uh, that ain't right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because it was informed. So yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> probably kept me out of a lot of trouble too, now that I think about it. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point on the conscience, because I remember um, you know, and speaking of like conventions and stuff, people talk a lot about voting your conscience. Um, and I think that there's, there's some, there's, there's a bit of misunderstanding, uh, about what the conscience is. We all kind of assume that we know what the conscience is because we all have a conscience we all have an idea of what it is, you know, kind of tells us what's right and wrong because there's this natural understanding of what's right and wrong. Um, well, no, there's the old Adam. We're, we're born into sin. We don't have a natural and we, we do, but it's tainted with sin. So, like, you know, like even like the unbeliever knows that it's wrong to murder, right? He knows that there's some sort of retribution. But you're right. We have the old Adam that totally corrupts it. So on the one hand, it's, it's true that we do have this natural knowledge of of the law and even of God's existence. But at the same time, at the, we, we, we don't in the sense, or it's confused, right? It's... Uh, Sorry, there was a really loud car going by. It's confused, uh, and and it is it's corrupted by by the by the stain of sin. And so, so you know, when it, when I remember a few years ago, when we were at convention, and they would always tell us, "Vote your conscience, vote your conscience." And I agree, I totally agree that you should your you should be convinced that this is how you're voting. Um. I don't think that everyone really understood what that meant to vote your conscience. To vote your conscience doesn't mean that you just blindly vote based on what you think is right, (laughs) but you should. It's a good thing to go to other people and say, who would be good at this? Who would do well in this position? Right. Or what, what's this topic about? Explain this to me. I want to understand it. Yeah. That's one thing I do as a layman because I know I'm weak in my theology. So if I have sure. a, yeah, I have a question. I'm going to go to somebody. Well, you're, you're, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so that I can, because I know what I don't know. I guess that's the best way to phrase it. Exactly. No, and I'm the same way too. You know, I mean, I know I, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, and that's why we we depend on other people, right? So, so when I was when I was at the convention, there were things where I would I would. I didn't understand, and I talked to other people who I knew had read more carefully than I had, and I tried to read, you know, all of the resolutions so that I was not just going in there unprepared, right? But, but there, but some people had just were just better at it, and so I'd go and I asked them. These are guys who I knew, I trusted them as faithful men, and that's part of voting your conscience is by informing your conscience correctly, you know, and not just going up there and saying, oh. You know, I like the sound of that guy's name. I'm going to vote for him. <laughs> well, that's not voting. That's maybe voting your conscience, but your conscience isn't informed. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, that that's the sin of hubris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I will confess I have had on occasion. Heck, I'm human. I know that. That's one reason why I really enjoy the um, the uh, confession and absolution portion of the uh, church service. Because, boy, it it gives me that opportunity to remember just how much of a sinner I am and just how blessed I am to have been forgiven. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to have that in there. And uh, now you were, so you were, you were a voting lay delegate then, right? No, no, I was down there right. as a as representative of KFUO. I was not a, oh, okay. a voting okay. delegate. Okay, I see, I see. So you didn't have to worry about any of that, that uh, the voting your conscience stuff, because you just, you were just a spectator, right? More or less. You know, I, obviously, yeah. I had my own thoughts and feelings on things, but that wasn't my job. My job was to see what the convention was doing and, and relay it to 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 the audience. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, and, and you were, um, were you advisory delegate or were you just uh, media? Just media. The, just media okay. completely separate okay. from that. Well, that's really neat. I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that. And it really is. It it is an interesting experience. It's it's it, you know, it's, it's one of those. I mean, you go to this huge reception hall, and you don't see it. I mean, you don't realize how big this is. Oh, it's huge! Unless you're there. <laughs> I never seen so many Lutherans in one one place in my life. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It, it really is. Uh, it's kind of overwhelming. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, and it was a good time. Like when I went there three years ago, it was in Milwaukee, and that was, it was a very, very good time to get together with other, with friends I went to seminary with, and uh, and to address issues that were actually pretty important. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good to it all. Uh, that and it's a good opportunity to to confess the truth whenever Lutherans get together. Well, I ran into uh, one of the people here today asked me, well, what did I think about the convention? And I said it was chaotic. It was inspirational. It was busy. It was exhausting. <laughs> All one sure, of the same, yeah. which I think was a pretty good description of it, at least from my point of view. And I, I think it was for everyone else. It was a uh, um, to an extent, it was a very emotional experience because we're discussing some very, very basic level things uh pastor in the final minute of the program any any last thoughts uh yeah just don't ever be afraid to confess the word of god and always seek from god's word a true confession and in every way uh you know let the lord guide your paths and he will not lead you astray and that and if that's where you're if, if you're if your goal is always to confess the truth uh, just even if it's unpopular, then God's always going to bless you. And oftentimes the truth is unpopular. And I think part of the lesson here is to the importance of daily following your catechism and Bible, because you're going to forget things. It's That's really right. important to follow this on a, on a daily basis. Amen. <sighs> so, well, here we are at the end of the program. Uh, Pastor uh, Royce, I want to thank you so much for being on the program. As usual, I've learned a lot. I tell you, this is probably my most favorite program of all the ones I work on here at KFUO because I learned so darn much about it. And I really thank people like you for appearing on this program and for giving the advice that you do. I really take it on a personal level. It's my pleasure. It's, a, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org.
Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.